Nighttime on Still Waters. This is NB506812, narrowcasting into the night from somewhere on Britain's waterways. Tenth of November, Wednesday. A light mist, like smoke, has begun to sweep down the hill, turning the fields and woods to smudgy greys. Scattered across the gentle curve of the hills, blurred sheep graze, like clumsily erased pencilled mistakes. Dry leaves rattle. And this morning, Penny and I walked beneath a cave of stars. And now I see the sun. Things are a little bit different this week, as the sudden and total demise of the computer has meant that this is going to be a shorter episode. And it's coming to you on a rather grey and cold afternoon rather than the night time. However, you are still more than welcome. And Penny, well, at the moment at least, is snoring softly beside me. The stove is on. And this is the narrowboat 506812, the Erica. Welcome aboard. Once again, I apologise for this episode being a, a bit truncated and rushed and I've not had too much time to prepare it and I'm not going to be able to do some of the normal things that I do. Uh, actually, even last night, I had thought I was not going to be able to upload anything, but I did need to check through that I could get everything back up and running. And so I thought I'd do a shorter narrowcast as a trial and so far, everything seems to be okay. And although everything's now in completely the wrong place. But fortunately, all my files were backed up, so I haven't lost any of those. But all the software seems to have undergone repeated upgrades since the ones that I downloaded and have got used to. And so everything's taking a bit longer to get my head around them and find where the, the various gadgets and tools are. And it's also a little strange to be recording in the afternoon and the world outside the little porthole window beside me is filled with people and activity and in fact I don't know if the microphone will be picking it up but there's quite a lot of noise outside and people walking past chatting away and boats moving from time to time and a slate grey light slants into the cabin and the night world that's swaddled in its blanket of darkness, and that stillness you get, even on stormy nights, seems such a long way off. But computer issues aside, it has been quite a week, and I think that it's one that many people who have concerns for the planet and all the communities we share it with haven't found easy. And I know it's all too, too easy just to be completely overwhelmed and swamped by 
a raging cocktail of anger and frustration and despair. And so at times like these, it's important for us all to know that we're not as isolated or alone in this as we sometimes might feel. Early this morning, the sun had just about arisen, but the clouds were heavy and so the light was only slowly beginning to wash down the hill toward the canal. And there was a pair of ducks, and I could hear them before I saw them. Soft little grunts and purrs. And they were contentedly foraging the shallower waters by the bank. And as they swam round a clump of reeds and cut salix, they came into view. They didn't seem at all too concerned that I was there, just an arm length away. And they were a male and a female. Their webbed feet playing with the water as they sifted the water through their beaks. And as they slowly floated on that dark surface of the canal, they kept quite close to each other. And all the time, soft vocalizations, grunting snorts from the female and little quacks from the drake. Which is surprising, for I've been led to believe that only the females quack. And there was something strangely touching about that conversation. And how else can you describe it? There, among the reeds and torn willow, paddling in the pools of night, not yet touched with the light of day, two small bundles of life reaching out to each other. The female and then the drake came up to the toe of my boot, and for a moment or two I thought they were going to try to climb out, but they obviously decided better and they gently pushed off, back into deeper water, as sheep song and jackdaws called down from the silvering sky. And outside my window here, I can see, up the hill, a row of cars parked, and clusters of people. I cannot hear them, but can see from their body language, and the way from time to time they stop and face each other. Like the ducks this morning, they too are talking. Small bundles of life who have survived the night, reaching out to each other. past couple of weeks have stirred up all sorts of questions and issues and feelings that over my life I've partly resolved but not completely. To live beautifully and meaningfully on this planet sometimes means that you cannot live prettily. Each life must still leave its footprints on the land, no matter how lightly you tread. To not do so is to not exist. And I've been reading my old friend John Moriarty, who walked this badger trail long before me. 
And after resigning from his career in academia, he returned to his native island and found a job as a gardener and groundsman in a couple of very overgrown and neglected gardens. But how do you, John Moriarty wrestled, live in harmony with the land and yet do violence to it too? How do you view the land and nature that nurtures all of life, including humankind, and at the same time lay an axe to a tree that's growing in the wrong position or pull up thick tangles of overgrowth that have blocked the path? And for Moriarty, this wasn't some liberal idealistic angst. It was an existential question through which he almost lost his sanity and even his life. How do you face the humanness of being human and all the atrocity and darkness humankind is capable of and live beautifully on the earth? He found the answer partly by listening once more to the great myths and older stories of the past. And here his great learning and his astonishingly wide reading served him well. But also he found the answer, again partly, somewhere else. And I was reminded of it last night. There are two vlogs about narrowboats that I always try to make time to watch. One is Vanessa's Mindful Narrowboat vlog, which I know I've mentioned a number of times before. And the other is Holly the Cafe Boat. That's created by a young couple called Vic and Joe. And the vlog is a record of their life afloat, having started up a new business venture, running a cafe narrowboat that they had renovated and refitted out. And this year, Joe became pregnant. And the episode last night was of little baby William coming into the world. And it was touching and moving and honest. And watching them both with this tiny bundle of new life reminded me of John Moriarty's experience with the young family who lived next door to him. And they had taken him in at a very fragile time in his life. And they had given him a plot of their land upon which to build his little cottage by the Owenmore River. And they had two babies, Sarah and then Lorna. And both girls, as they began to explore that world into which they had been flung, affected John deeply. In fact, he argues that the birth of Sarah gave him another go at life. There is something so powerful about that instinct and bond. When little Ellie came to visit us on the boat a few weeks back and I could see her begin to taste life with her parents, Sarah and Ben and elder sister Rosie, And watching her and being with her, I could understand everything Moriarty had written about Sarah and how Sarah's experience affirmed his own. Later on, Lorna was born. 
And Moriarty introduces her within the context of his great struggle with acknowledging the darker side of human condition and also his activity. And in doing so, he, no matter how much he would hope that he was strong enough to resist, he too could be capable of the atrocities that appall him so much. The Colosseum, the Holocaust, and now Ecocide and the Sixth Extinction. And it's within that tumultuous context that he writes about the birth of Lorna. Just in from work on a Friday evening, I was putting on the fire when I heard Lynn calling me from the far side of the yard. She's home, I thought. She's home. When I appeared in the door, she called to me to come over and see Lorna, her new baby. I hesitated momentarily, calling back that I had a cold and maybe I'd give it to her. No, you won't, Lynn called. Come on over. Meeting her at the gunroom window, she directed my attention inwards. And there they were, on the big couch, Sarah holding Lorna a little nervously, I thought not at all as casually as she would sometimes hold Teddy Moore. We went in, and when Sarah eventually indicated that she was ready to surrender her, I took up my new next-door neighbour, and I held her to my heartbeat. I held her to my life, to my deanthropically difficult and dangerous life, and come what may, I'd protect her doing all I could to give her the best possible run at life. All over again, holding her who was precious. I was precious. Precious in her need for what I could give her. Precious in her need for a next-door neighbour. Precious in her need for a welcoming someone behind the black door at the end of her yard. But Lorna, here you are tonight, with us in this grand old house under Darada Hill, beside the Owenmore River in the parish of Roundstone in the county Galway. Tomorrow I'll take you out, and I'll show you the yard and the garden and the river and that marmalade cat, that one there, he's called Tiger, and this one, this fluffy black one, he's called Stomper. And when Lynn puts them out at night, they come over to me. And I, who am holding you, I am your Navajo grandfather. And right here in my chest, I am a Navajo cradleboard for you. I have made a cradleboard for you, my child. May you grow to a great old age of the sun's rays. I made the back. Of black clouds I have made the blanket. Of rainbow I have made the side loops. Of lightnings I have made the lacings. Of river mirrorings I have made the footboard. Of dawn I have made the covering. Of earth's welcome for you I have made the bed. But you are in Ireland now, Lorna. And this song I am singing to you is as an Irish lullaby. 
On the wings of the wind or the dark rolling sea, Angels are coming to watch over thee, Angels are coming to watch o'er thy sleep, So list to the wind coming over the deep. Hear the wind blow, love, hear the wind blow, Lean your head over and hear the wind blow. Kurachs are sailing away out on the blue, Laden with herring and silvery hue, Silver the herring and silver the sea, Soon they'll be silver for baby and me. Hear the wind blow, love, hear the wind blow, Lean your head over and hear the wind blow. O wind of the night, may your fury be crossed, May no one that's dear to our island be lost. Blow the wind gently, and calm be the foam, Blow the wind gently, and bring them safe home. Hear the wind blow, love, hear the wind blow, Lean your head over, and hear the wind blow. And welcome to you, Lorna, welcome to our house, Welcome to our yard with its horses and hens, Welcome to our garden with its old, old apple trees And its old, old gooseberry trees. Lean your head over, love, lean your head over, And hear the wind blow. Moriarty was fascinated by the origins of humankind and a number of images seep through his work, the, the cave paintings at Lusseau, but also that figure of Lucy, the Australopithecine female, some 3.2 million years old and found in the, the deserts of Africa. And reflecting on his first encounter with Lorna, Moriarty says, I am capable of the Colosseum. I am capable of Auschwitz. Yet here I am, trying to be to Lorna what nature was to Lucy. Babies have a habit of reminding us of our beginnings. And in remembering our beginnings, we can recapture our presence and the destinations for which our beginnings have prepared us for. And as Moriarty says, they give us a second run at life. And Ellie, William, Lorna gives us more than just hope, but a lamp to guide our paths once more, and the opportunity to be what nature was to Lucy, to them, and to the world around us. Well, thank you for joining me. And again, I'm sorry that this is not being quite what I had planned at the beginning of the week. But it's time really for me to sign off. The clouds are beginning to break outside and the sun, although still hidden, is already beginning to wester low. And it just leaves me to say and wish you a very peaceful and restful night. Hear the winds blow, love. Hear the winds blow. Lean your head over. And hear the winds blow. Good night.
temperature outside 12.8 degrees inside 23 degrees humidity 76 percent dew point 8 degrees wind direction north wind strength 7 miles per hour Barometric pressure 1025.4 Steady Cloud cover 76% Cloud ceiling 2100 feet Precipitation Nil Moon phase 80% Waxing gibbous Day length, 8 hours 49 minutes. Sunset, 1616. Skycasting, 728.